Welcome back to the Rob Mana Show, folks. We've got another good one this week. Uh, uh, the title of the show is, Is the Woke Culture Falling to an Explosive Demise? Uh, you know, uh, here's a quote for you. The greatest trick the woke crowd ever pulled was convincing American culture they existed at large. Uh, that's the first sentence in a recent article by today's guest who writes for Outkick.com. We'll explore that idea that wokeness is only a tiny part of the American culture and voter block that has been intentionally inflated by corporate media, government institutions, and so-called social media influencers. Here's another bit from the article. A fight for gay marriage morphed into dangerous sex changes for children, a racial reckoning morphed into blatant anti-white racism, and abusive behavior on the internet morphed into the censorship of political opinions. And considering recent events, uh, from my perspective, I, I would add that I think we can reasonably add that woke activists peacefully protesting has for these harmful ideas of progressivism appear to have morphed into and maybe even an anti-Christian domestic terrorism effort to kill their op- opposition and impose these ideas on them through force of arms if all else fails. Bobby Burak of Outkick.com joins me to discuss his article titled, This is What the Fall of Woke Influence Looks Like. Bobby, welcome to the Rob Mana Show, sir. Hey, Rob, I appreciate you having me. Uh, a lot of fun to be here and I uh, appreciate it. Yeah, man. Uh, great article. I, I appreciate it. Now, my audience, I'm 61 years old, uh, uh, but my audience is uh, is around my age group, maybe a little bit older. So, when you when you say woke or woke culture or wokeism, just define that for them real quick. Yeah, so I mean, the title woke has had several different iterations, but the one that we discuss now that has come to be is really a movement to replace societal norms with identity and association. I mean, essentially, it's to redefine status based on your identity, whether it's your skin color, your sexual orientation political ideology, or how much of a claim you have to the hierarchy of victimhood. That is what woke has come to mean. Are you a victim or are you an oppressor? And that's going to decide precisely how far you advance in your country and in the work culture. Yeah, I keep up on this stuff. So, uh, so, so I have an idea of what those things are. When somebody hears something like critical race theory, what you just said reminds me of critical race theory where it says white people are the oppressor and all other people of color are the oppressed. And it teaches that as a, as a methodology for thinking through a lens and looking at things through that lens uh, of all types, whether it's uh, social constructs or, or government policy and those kind of things. Is that a good example? Absolutely. And but critical race theory, I mean, the reason why it's so dangerous is that it, convin- it convinces students matter what age they are studying it, whether it be in school or college, is that your skin color makes you a victim or makes you a bad guy. And naturally, that causes resentment because it tells black students, hey, your white counterparts are racist. They want to put you back in chains. You better do something about it. But it also tells white people, hey, you must atone for your ancestors. You're the villain here because of the way you were born. So it makes both sides not like each other because they're looking at the other one saying, wait a minute, you're judging me the basis of my skin color when really it's the people in power judging all of us by our skin color and creating racial animosity. 
Yeah, you know, and and it's based on critical theory, which comes out of a place called the Frankfurt Frankfurt School, which is uh, populated by Marxists and communists that came out of Europe. Uh, and 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 I think, do you think that the transgender ideology approach that's that we see occurring uh, in our society now is is modeled on that same critical theory? I know I do. I've studied Marxism for a long time. I was in the Cold War. Uh, as a military officer and enlisted, uh, and I'm very familiar with these concepts, and they've been used in America before by the old Soviet Union. Uh, right. Yeah. Is it modeled after that? It appears to be to me. Have you seen that in your research, too? It is, and I go back to what I call the hierarchy of victimhood. So white, straight males at the very bottom, they're the ones that are told they're mm-hmm. privileged, they need to amend. Well, now all of a sudden, transgenders are at the very top of that pyramid. They've been declared victims number one we use the term morph a lot about how a problem starts here and it escalates Mm -hmm. to here i mean all of a sudden you know a couple decades ago we're fighting for gay marriage now all of a sudden it's like okay these kids should change their gender because it's in vogue it's cool to do so transgenderism is really the tip of the iceberg right now um even i would say beyond racial animosity is the animosity they're told they should have among the rest of society and it's particularly straight people who they say are the ones holding them back so you're absolutely right i mean maybe we'll get into this but what wokeism is is an escalation of the progressive movement progressive Mm -hmm. movement inherently means a movement must keep progressing no matter the results so you start by identifying a real problem then when that's problem solved you don't just take your ball and go home and claim victory. You have to keep on progressing. So you go from identifying a problem to correcting a problem to overcorrecting a problem to all of a sudden you're creating the problem. That last one is where we are right now. Yeah. As, as a matter of fact, that, that's a nice segue into my next question uh, because, uh, you know, in your article, uh, what caught my attention right off the bat was you mentioned a, a spiked study. Uh, and it, that it found the woke crowd makes up only 8% of the electorate. Uh, of the electorate. Uh, now, I had suspected that it was a fairly small number when you look at numbers of human beings uh, in the United States uh, uh, that were uh, wedded to these ideas and pushing them. Uh, but, uh, but this is a first study, or, and you're the first journalist, really, that I've seen that uh, has the guts to quote a study that's actually looked at this. Uh, do you, uh, do you, how, how rigorous was that study? Uh, it, do you think it might be larger or smaller? I mean, I suspect, that really, honestly, in my opinion, it's much smaller a number than what even the study indicates. But I'm interested in what you have found in your yeah. research. So the, the reason I uncovered this is because I, this is what never made sense to me, Rob. And I think in the column, it sort of affirms a lot of this. So anything that has gone, quote unquote, woke, whether it be news networks, sports, music, entertainment, late night TV award shows, they've all failed. People have rejected it at every stop. When the Oscars went woke, when sports went woke, when music went woke, people stopped consuming at the number they did before. A lot of it cut in half. So what does that tell you? People don't like when things go, quote unquote, woke. So I started doing this study and there was one that said about a third of the population supports it. I didn't believe that. But then I started to do some more research and that's because 
most people don't know what it means. So the spike study is on the basis of people who know what woke is. It mm-hmm. only 8% electric actually supports it. That's why I begin this piece. So there's this old saying that the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world it doesn't exist, meaning that mm-hmm. it looms in the shadows. People don't know how powerful the devil can actually be. Well, wokeism is the exact opposite. I don't think, I think they convince people, particularly institutional leaders, that wokeism is prevalent across the country, that people at large support this movement. Well, they don't. They actually despise yeah. it. But by convincing academia, entertainment, sports, Hollywood, and media that the country at large likes this well then all of a sudden they buy into it and make it seem like wokeism is popular it's an over index because the people who control the megaphone they've been promoting these ideas for years which that creates a disconnect with the rest of society but as we get into the piece that shift is starting to turn and i think it makes the whole movement incredibly vulnerable yeah, and one of the things I wanted to ask you about that also jumped out at me uh, in the piece, uh, uh, you talking about the institution is institution takeover. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, and again, I, I agree with you. It's it's by a very small number of people with, that have captured what I call captured uh, some uh, very elite leaders in the institutions, and then people with large voices. Uh, in the media and social media, you mentioned specifically the newsrooms, uh, the uh, the Hollywood types, uh, academia, sports, comedy. You know, remember the Dave Chappelle uh, deal? I think you you talk about that in the article and big tech. But what jumped out at me was what you didn't listen uh, list here, and it's something that I know a lot about. So it makes me want to ask the question: uh, You didn't mention government institutions. Uh, because I've been working with organizations that are organized by volunteers, uh, especially former military officers, senior military officers, to identify wokeism uh, policies and ideologies being used to indoctrinate young people coming into the military, young people going through the service academies. Uh, and, and most of all, you see that the indoctrination is being pushed from the highest levels, in, in my case, the Pentagon, the Department of Defense has completely bought into these ideas. Now, now you have you have the the power of the purse, this massive defense budget that's looking to be approaching a trillion dollars here in the next two or three years. It's I think the latest request is eight hundred and fifty million dollars, which is unbelievable, even for somebody like me that served over 30 years uh, in the military. But. Was that intentional or is that just because you focus primarily on the civilian sector uh, and, and that may be a whole other article? Uh, it sounds like it is to me after I asked the question. <laughs> yeah, so it absolutely was intentional. Um, so at the end of the column, so the great Andrew Breitbart, who I think was really a thought leader, he always said famously, politics is downstream from culture, that trends begin in culture and they move over to politics. And I found this to be the case when it comes to wokeism, that it began in American culture, then eventually morphed into politics. And so the reason I didn't mention politics is because I haven't seen the de-escalation of it in politics yet. That makes total sense because you're just seeing the beginning of the pushback in culture. And I believe Mm -hmm. eventually that will move downstream 
to politics, but we're not there yet because, as you said, this stuff is really still infest in politics currently. It's, it's, it's actually getting worse. It's escalating. But yeah. once culture begins to reject this to a higher degree, I'm hopeful and I'm confident you'll see the same thing in politics, but we're not quite there yet. Well, yeah, I think, uh, uh, thanks for bringing up Andrew. He's, he's in my notes too, because I, I first heard that line, uh, from him at a press conference that he did just before he passed away. After I left, the, I left the military about a year before he, he passed away. Unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to meet him. Uh, but culture always drives, uh, policy and politics. Uh, and you're exactly right. And one of the things that I fear, though, is that this bureaucracy that we have in the United States, federal and state and local governments now are so large and so empowered because it's engorged with money uh, post pandemic here. A lot of you know trillions of dollars have been pushed into uh, even the local governments uh, uh, nowadays. And uh, what I'm wondering, I and just musing out loud here is will the culture as it changes uh, and we see this fall, which is deservedly so uh, because it's absurd what uh, people are being told they have to do these days. Uh, will it be powerful enough to have enough influence to, to rapidly in a reasonable way, decrease this influence in the bureaucracy. And the reason why I point out the DOD is that it has the most influence on young people in America because it brings them in as very young people, uh, trains them, sends them to college, trains them to be leaders in, in their organization, and then wants them to stay for 20 to 30 years uh, on top of that. So uh, that's why I asked about it. I'm very concerned about that. Do you think there's enough momentum on the downfall side of this, that it's going to be able to have that normal effect that Breitbart uh, pointed out uh, of eventually taking that over? I do, because the the first glimpse we saw of it hitting the political sector is, I'll take you back to November of 2021. What happened? Republicans did very well in Virginia because critical race theory, right? It seemed like mm-hmm. based on the numbers we've seen, parents came out to vote against Democrats in 2021 because of what they believe was critical race theory in the classroom, which really is an escalation of what woke has done to academia. So I I am confident. Now, look, these things take time. It's not something that's going to happen overnight, but I'm confident that come election time, maybe 2024, maybe 2026, maybe 2028, I think parents are going to particularly look back and say, I don't want my kids being told that their race decides who they are. I don't want strangers sexually indoctrinating my children. So I do think it's going to happen in politics, but it begins with everything is messaging, right? Who controls the messaging? Progressive. They control media. They control most of big tech. They control most of entertainment. But you're starting to see that monopoly fall. Elon Musk now controls Twitter. You have comedians like Chris Rock, Dave Chappelle pushing back. Netflix is doing a what the industry calls a woke reversal. So if the messaging can change, people are more likely to buy into, I think, anti-wokeism, learning what it means. Because, I mean, Rob, whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, a moderate or a centrist, a lot of what wokeism has come to represent, it's not sane. It's sane versus insane. I mean, telling yeah. young kids to get these surgeries that it's normal and telling them, hey, you're black, so you should be able to, you know, call your 
classmate are racist and told prove otherwise. Like to me, that exceeds any sort of political ideology. And I think it's, it's an attack on common sense. And I do believe eventually both culture and politics will come to resent this. But it's going to be a slow-moving process because of how influential wokeism has become. Yeah, it has become very influential. And you mentioned Chris Rock and Dave Chappelle on Netflix, and uh, that's exactly where I wanted to go. You you brought them up in the article. Uh, What do you think happened first? you think Netflix uh, uh, recognized operationally that they were taking financial hits first? before the Dave Chappelle incident? Because that's the, really the first one on that type of platform that I remember seeing that, that blew up in a big way where he where he said he pushed back and he said, I'm doubling down on this. And, and they had to keep him instead of canceling him. Yeah. So I think this is multi-layered. What really happened here is Dave Chappelle is the leading comedian. And Netflix was obviously more hesitant to throw him on the bus than they were yeah. most comedians. But what they realize is how weak these cancel culture vultures are because they realize when you don't comply, when you don't obey, these people can't do anything to you. Cancel culture is a complete product of compliance. It's, all it is is some vile blue check tells you, hey, fire that comedian, fire that talk show host, and then they do it, and all of a sudden they're canceled. But if the corporation or network just says, no, we're not going to do that, what can the blue checks do? They have no influence except the influence you grant them. So Netflix, I think, had an epiphany of like, wait a minute. If we don't listen to these guys, they can't do anything to us. They can't hurt our business. We're just going to ignore him. They did, and they exposed the vulnerability of the movement. I like in cancel culture to that bully on the playground who everybody's afraid of. But when he's finally knocked down, he wakes up not nearly as fear because you realize, well, he's not invincible. He can be knocked down. That's what I'm seeing with the woke crowd is that once they're knocked down, they are without a counterpunch. So it makes it a lot easier for other people to push back, knowing that how beatable they actually are. And Chappelle and Netflix exposed that because Chappelle was big enough for Netflix to take that chance. Then the Netflix realized, like, okay. These guys are so beatable. We're done listening to them. We're done complying. And that's why you're seeing two years later, Netflix double down and Dave Chappelle and Chris Rock and actually cancel shows from Ibram X. Kendi, who I believe is a racist and shows about yeah. men birthing babies. So Netflix is leading the charge because they saw, okay, these guys are vulnerable. We're done complying. Yeah, I think fortunately they probably did not have very many of these types inside their corporate structure yet in the decision making area. But uh, uh, and I just I saw the quote on Chris from Chris Rock in your article about hey these these guys it comes down to this uh, it's basically somebody that's that wants to get your job they they come up with something crazy and try to push it out there and get you canceled uh, and you know what he's right oh he's yeah. right about that. I mean, uh, the best resume you can have is a resume that says you're a victim. Like you've seen it mm-hmm. for the past five, 10 years. Every time a white person gets fired for a supposedly racist commentary, the company replaces them with a black person who says they're anti-racist and actively fighting against racism. So that's them trying to overcorrect. And that's really what Chris Rock was saying is that forget your skill set. If you can say you're a victim, that Mm. puts you in line to take their job. We're going to see it with the trans movement 
right away. I mean, a lot of people are going to get fired. Uh, well, let me just actually say this. A video game creator just lost her job for sharing our, uh, the Harry Potter author's quotes. And they were told, well, that employee's racist. So they fired her and replaced her with a trans person who had no experience in video gaming just because the messaging looked good. Hey, we fired a supposed transphobic woman and replaced her with a trans. That's what Chris Rock was talking about. And he's yeah. absolutely correct. Yeah, he is. Uh, do, you, do you think, uh, uh, and, and I don't remember if you mentioned him in the article or not, but reading about Netflix and Rock and Chappelle uh, and what they've gone through, uh, one, of, one of the companies that's uh, near and dear to my heart is Disney. You know, yeah. I've, been a, I've been a Disneyland attender since I was five, you know, uh, and uh, I canceled all my subscriptions a few years ago, I don't take my kids and grandkids to Disney World anymore. Uh, it's been several years over that because of what they put in place in their leadership uh, and the information that came out. Do you, do you think that they're going to come down at some point uh, and, uh, uh, and make the right choices and, and go back to normal? Well, remember, they tried. Um, the last CEO, Bob Chapek, who was there for a very short time, he actually yeah. wanted to stay out of this stuff. The reason that Disney got so involved in Don't Say Gay is because Chapik, if I'm saying his name correctly, he, he wanted to sit out. He didn't want Disney to get involved in the Florida legislation. But it was his predecessor, uh, what, his name is escaping me, Bob Iger, and yeah. low-level staffers who pushed back and made him look like, he was homophobic. So now Chapek is gone and Bob Iger is back in control who totally embraces this stuff. So Disney, I think, calculated what Netflix did. And like, okay, we need to go back to prioritizing and catering to the masses, not this small radical minority. But it got halted because of the backlash of the don't say gay bill. So will Disney do a recourse again, maybe, but I would expect Disney to be the last one to go back to what I would consider normal just because of how far Disney has gone in that direction and how fragile they are to criticism. I mean, all you have to do is tell Disney in some blog or article that what they're doing is offensive to marginalized groups and they will reach, think their entire business model. I mean, that's how susceptible they are, I believe, to misinformation and propaganda and supposedly hurt feelings. Yeah, I think uh, I think you're right there, uh, Bobby. It's uh, it's a tough one uh, for them, but you know they're losing their customer base uh, dramatically over and over. Uh, they have to be seeing it. So hopefully, I still have hope that they're uh, <laughs> that they're going to come to their senses and and make start making the right calls and everything. Get back to playing, as you said, to the customer base, which is kids. You know, little kids uh, and their parents and their grandparents. You know, you mentioned uh, Elon Musk earlier and you talk about in the article uh, about Twitter 1.0 was the key enabler of, uh, of this, this woke indoctrination and everything. Uh, but Musk has bought it uh, and uh, has really tried to turn it into more of a free speech platform. Uh, do you think that, uh, uh, that that's being effective? Uh, or is, is there still a woke element kind of undercover in Twitter uh, that that kind of harnesses up uh, free speech, especially on the conservative side? 
So I did some research on this about a year ago. I don't know the numbers now because I don't know that it's been surveyed since Musk took over. But if Twitter were a state, it would be the most liberal, be more liberal than like Vermont, Hawaii. It it would be, I believe it would be D plus 27, which means Democrats would outnumber Republicans to a higher degree than any other state. So the majority of Twitter users are very liberal. But there's a clear distinction between liberals in the woke, right? Bill Maher talks about this often. Bill Maher is liberal. He's not right. woke. Dave Chappelle, liberal, not woke. But what Twitter did, Twitter 1.0, that is, is they were able to manufacture trends through their algorithm, through retweets and engagement. By shadow banning certain accounts, they were able to bury opposing ideas And through a rigged algorithm, they were able to amplify other ideas. So what that did is it created a misrepresentation of society, one in which institutional leaders fell for. Because they went on Twitter and said, wow, everybody buys into the BLM movement because the tweets encouraging BLM had the most retweets, the most likes, and the most shares, or the accounts that opposed BLM, they were buried. And Twitter files prove this. They were shadow banned. They were put at the very end of the search button. They were unable to be visible compared to Mm -hmm. other tweets. So what that does is it convinces people one idea is really popular and one idea is not. But what it didn't do is let those trends originate organically. Now, Elon Musk says he's going to let trends originate naturally. So if BLM becomes popular on Twitter again, that's going to be because users support it, not because of some wonky algorithm demanded that BLM become popular. I think you're starting to see BLM really isn't that popular. It doesn't trend nearly as often as it did under previous ownership. So Twitter is really key to all of this because Twitter is what I say, the trendsetter is the default editor of the free press. The press answers to Twitter trends. And for so long, Twitter trends have been misrepresenting American culture. You're absolutely right. And, and you mentioned as, uh, you know, as you describe this impending fall or actually that that wokeism is falling. Uh, uh, you mentioned that, uh, you know, these influencers, especially in the paid media and the, the corporate media and those kind of places, uh, they have these big megaphones uh, and they and they bow down to silly things like apologizing for certain things and all that. And, and I notice and I have to bring this up because as 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 uh, heartbreaking as it is, you know, the trans transgender uh, uh, shooter that uh, just attacked a Christian school in Nashville uh, not long ago, uh, you know, she was uh, uh, uh talked about in different ways at the very beginning, you know, and, and that's what happens uh, in a crisis situation is uh, first reports from the battlefield folks are generally wrong. So be careful how you spread that stuff. But, but the irony of it is, uh, as we're talking about wokeism is falling, you have the New York times apologizing because they, they misgendered uh, this woman who identified as a man and, uh, and uh, I just think that's ridiculous. As a matter of fact, I, I don't even acknowledge that people, when people say, hey, my pronouns are what, uh, I don't even acknowledge it. I don't talk about it. I don't I address them for what I know the, them to be, you know, because uh, uh, I'm not going to play the game. And I'm not going to play the game. I, they're just bullies, as you mentioned in the article. But it's still happening. I mean, the New York Times, when they do something like that, uh, that is still playing that game. 
do you see that ending anytime soon? Yeah, I mean, I do want to say real quickly, child murderers are not entitled for us to identify them by their preferred pronouns. I don't think anybody's into that, but someone who just shot up a school to try to identify her or him, whatever the person identifies the moment they slayed and slaughtered children. I mean, it is ridiculous that anybody would want to give that game the time of the day, particularly in this moment. I mean, I see people so offended about the way that person was identified. We should be able to identify that murderer, that assassin, by anything we want, because it doesn't yeah. matter if male, female, or not, they murder children. So to participate in the game on this week is irresponsible, reckless, and shows how vulnerable our corporate press is. Um, I mean, the press is an entirely different story. Um, I, I'm so disgusted by the evolution of the media. I think these people are some of the most cowardly, useful idiots anywhere in corporate America. I mean, they've lied to us, they've deceived us, and what bothers me the most, they protect the people above them and try to destroy the people below them. Th- that is the most unethical thing a journalist can do. A journalist's sole job is to provide information to people who can't get it themselves and hold those with influence accountable. We're seeing none of that. They are protecting the Chinese government. They're protecting Dr. Fauci, the Democrat Party, and they spend so much time trying to destroy some random Twitter user for misidentifying a child murder or some truck driver who didn't identify um, somebody by their pronouns on Facebook. I mean, it's so backwards. So to answer your question, do I see the corporate press changing? That's the one institution that I'm reluctant to. But the good thing is people don't really care about what these guys say anymore. Nobody's watching CNN. Hardly anybody's watching MSNBC. The Washington Post, based on reports, is not going to make a profit this year. Independent media, whether it be Joe Rogan, the Daily Wire, um, Substack writers, they have been able to carve out such a large market because people are fed up with the deceivers and the corporate press that, no, I don't see the New York Times, Washington Post, CNN, and NPR changing, but I don't think they have to change because America has changed on them. They don't care what they say anymore. They're not watching, they're not listening, and they're not changing their opinion based on what these newsrooms write anymore. Yeah, uh, I mean, us independent types, even us little guys like me, uh, we, we, we watch them because you can almost physically see the talking points memo go out. You know, the reporting started right away uh, that uh, uh, that it was the Christian kids uh, and Christians fault that that because they're doing some kind of weird false trans genocide kind of uh, operation. Uh, I mean, p- corporate media is actually reporting that. Uh, multiple and over and over. So it's up to people like me to, and you uh, and others to identify that and call it out and keep people, you know, keep them uh, in the limelight as being li- the liars that they are. I mean, Reuters did a headline that didn't even talk about uh, the shooter uh, being a transgender, uh, forget mispronouning, uh, or that they attacked a Christian school and killed three little kids that were nine years old and, and, and three adults in their sixties. So, you know, we just got to keep calling them out and eventually uh, somebody with the money to buy them that has some common sense. I hope we'll, hopefully it'll happen before my time on this planet is over. Cause I'd love to be able to rub their noses. <laughs> well, let me ask you this. And I say a lot of studies because I'm very into like numbers and research. And mm-hmm. so, I believe it was the post millennial. They put out a report last May surveying the most 
influential newspaper in the country, New York Times, LA Times, USA Today, Washington Post, so on and so forth. Rob, if a white person shoots a black person, it is seven to one times more likely to make the headline than if a black person shoots a white person, meaning editors are saying, hey, if a white person shoots a black person, make that the headline. If a black person shoots a white person, cover the shooting, but don't make a race the headline. Maybe blame the GOP for gun laws. Don't make a race the priority. I mean, can you think of anything more dishonest than that? That's not them reporting the facts. That's them trying to shape a narrative that white supremacy plagues the country, which I believe is the biggest myth in society. I do not think white supremacy plagues society at all on the macro level. And that remains the chief talking point in the corporate press. Well, I live in deep South Mississippi and quite honestly, uh, white supremacy doesn't plague the United States of America anymore, even on a micro level. The numbers are so minuscule. Uh, uh, it's unbelievable. You know, and to get back to the transgender issue, two transgender people that we know of, uh, were killed over a one-year period and less than 200 incidents occurred. Uh, that is so such a small number, it's almost not measurable in a population uh, the size of ours. Uh, while at the same time, you have the big corporate media types pushing that megaphone out. But you know what? They won't talk about the black-on-black crime that's killing most black kids in Chicago and New Orleans and L.A. and those kind of places. And they won't yeah, uh, in a fair way, talk about the the drug problem with fentanyl killing over seventy thousand Americans in twenty twenty one, and almost a hundred thousand in twenty twenty. Uh, and those were mostly young people, young Americans, and they won't talk about the fact that uh, that that issue comes out of gangs, which come across the border, which is their policies, right. you know, uh, and the policies that the corporate media supports. So I agree with you. I mean, it's just they they deserve no quarter. As a matter of fact, uh, but uh, number one reason is because they're destroying the very First Amendment rights that we need them to have. We being the American people or any free people, you need to have a free press. Well, it's not free. They are shackled in large part by the government of the United States, don't you think? Oh, yeah. I mean, they're pretty much acting as agents to the government, which is what big tech did during the 2020 election. I mean, talk about collusion. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, Rob, people call me and text me all the time. Like, why aren't you responding to this journalist who is calling you a racist and a bigot and a transphobe and saying that you, know, you need to be fired? And quite frankly, I have no respect for these people. I think I mean, talking about the journalists, like what they've done, what they're trying to do, I just find it so disgusting and cowardly and shallow that nothing they say bothers me to what they say about me because I don't respect their opinion. I mean, they can say whatever they want. I just don't think these are honest brokers. I know they're not. They're they're misleading the country. They're doing it on purpose. And the greatest crime they did is protect the Chinese government. They tried to shame anyone who tied the lab leak to the corona or the the coronavirus to the Chinese government, meaning the lab leak theory, which the U.S. Energy Department and FBI have both come out to say is the most likely origin of coronavirus. You know, they try to destroy anyone who said that, calling them yeah. xenophobic conspiracy theories, red hat wearing conspiracy, dangerous, anti-science maggots. No, no. Those people are right. You guys were wrong. You guys were the one who tried to absolve a communist government for committing mass murder. I mean, that's all that needs to be said about the modern day press. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on, man. I mean, it's uh, it's a uh, it is a 
it is a, uh, a ridiculousness that, you know, I got called an extremist on a live radio program that I was the host of uh, a few years ago. And I went at the guy because, you know, I served for over 33 years. I have top secret clearance and all that. Uh, you, you dare to call somebody like me an extremist? I'm going to come at you. Uh, and the media just raked me over the coals over it to the point where, where my wife was like, don't ever say those words again. You know, and I didn't even use any profanity. Uh, but you know what? I don't care what they say about me. I don't care if they call me a white supremacist. I don't care if they call me a racist, a homophobe, a transphobe. I'm going to say and do try to do the right thing. Uh, that's the part where I think I like what you said is that never obey the bullies. That's right. the message that people need to be getting. Uh, and, and if we because if we do, they're just going to keep on doing it. it. And not only that, the reason why, like, particularly in my case, I would never listen or engage or even care what they say is um, I won't hang out with these people. And also, I would never work for an employer that cares what these people say. Like I give Netflix yeah. so much credit for coming around and not listening to these bullies, but like I would never work for a company that even considered it for a moment um, because what these people are doing is they're suppressing curiosity. They're telling you, Hey, don't ask questions. Don't be curious. Just parrot the talking points of your leaders who your leaders parrot the talking points of the democratic party. I mean, it is a, an assault on the truth and an attack on journalism. And these people aren't journalists. They're smear merchants trying to protect, their ruling class. You're exactly right. And to husband their power and their government handlers power, uh, mm -hmm. because it's all about power. Uh, it's all about power over others. And they think they have power over us. And, and if you respond to the jerks, uh, you give them power. So, so don't worry about it, you know, and let's keep telling the truth and trying to do the right thing in our lives. And, uh, and, uh, I pray for them because I believe in praying for your enemies, you know, and I'm a Christian, so, uh, I've got to do that. But, you, the uh, the thing that really bugs me, though, uh, Bobby, is the 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 normie people, the people that think, you know, the term normie. I, I consider them, you know, they're the people in the middle of the bubble. You right. know, they're they're going to work, they're taking the kids to their daycare or their grandkids, and I'm not talking about just people in their 30s and 40s. I'm talking about people my age. And the only reason I know about this stuff because I'm paying attention to it. Mm -hmm. You know. Uh, uh, but if I wasn't paying attention to it, you know, like I have three brothers with their kids and grandkids, they're, they're all working and, uh, and doing their thing. Uh, and, and that really bugs me because some days they wake up and they go, and you say something to them and they go, wait a minute. I didn't hear about that. When, what's going on? I don't know. I don't think you're right. Uh, uh, that's not, that, that can't be true. And those kind of things. Uh, what do you say to those kind of people? Because that's where most people are, really. It's interesting you bring that up. Uh, not the column we just talked about. My column before this was entitled The War on Information. And it explores how the average person is fed so many lies. Think about what they were told, the normies, mm -hmm. during COVID, that masks prevent the spread. That vaccine yeah. protects them against infection. That plexiglass is saying that masking your kids up all day doesn't make you a loon. That the virus originated from a pangolin to a bat to now, I think they say, a raccoon dog. So yeah. you're right. The person who is not seeking independent and alternative sources is being fed lies because the most accessible information tends to be mainstream, which tends to be the most inaccurate and doctored and inauthentic. So my advice to anybody, whether you're conservative, 
liberal, moderate, don't really care about these issues that if you're going to make decisions based on the information, you have to consume multiple different outlets. Like I, I don't tell anybody to ever just consume me. They should consume people who don't like me, people who try to discredit me, but consume all of us and make your own decision. I think that if you do that, in most cases, you, you can use common sense and deduce, okay, this, this person isn't honest. I mean, CBS is not an honest news outlet anymore. Look, look what they said during COVID. They end up wrong about everything. So yeah. my advice to everybody is consume as much information as you can, because that's your power. Your power is the information you have. And if you, if you don't, you lose that power and you're letting people above you make decisions because you don't have information to tell them they're wrong or contradict them. Yeah. People like me and you, we get accused of being members of, of a cult of one way or another at some point all, all the time. And uh, you mentioned in the article uh, and I got to before we close, I got to I got to give you a chance to talk about this because it's very curious. Uh, I had not thought about it this way is that wokeism is a cult now. How did they get to be, from being, hey, we want to be progressive and tackle this problem and solve it. Uh, and I don't think a lot of people disagree with that kind of approach, that idea of solving problems to make people's lives better, to they're, they're a cult at this point. How did they get there? Yeah, and you mentioned it when you were reading snippets from the piece, that paragraph about the fight for gay marriage morphing into genital mutilation, the, the fight for a racial reckoning morphing into overt anti-white racism. I mean, censorship originated to tone down abusive behavior online. All of a sudden they're censoring people who have inconvenient political opinions. And it's just a natural progression of the movement it starts where there's a problem, but it ends by them creating a problem. So it began as a movement to better society. So they say, but once they started to run out of problems to screech over, it morphs into a cult. And that's where we're at right now, that the more common sense folks like Bill Maher and Dave Chappelle and Chris Rock, they could get on board for the fight for gay marriage and equality, but they can't get on board for genital mutilation of young children and equity. Those are far different things. And you've gone from there. So it came a movement to a cult and all throughout history movements fall when they become cult-like and they start to lose the more common sense influential foot soldiers, which is what the woke are doing. They've lost Netflix. They've lost Bill Maher. They've lost Dave Chappelle. They've lost Twitter. So mm -hmm. they're, weak. they're much weaker than they were a couple of years ago. And it's because of that natural progression. I think a lot of us saw coming, but we're wondering when it was actually going to come to fruition. And I would say we're at that point now. Yeah, I think we are. You know, uh, uh, it's interesting because uh, when I think about your your employer, Outkick.com, who you write for, uh, you know, I stopped watching uh, sports many, many years ago. And I, I grew up as an avid Boston Celtics basketball fan, uh, you, you know, uh, university. I'm not going to name my school because I live in one state and it was living in another state then. Uh, but, you know, my favorite university college team and all that stuff. Uh, uh, but uh uh, but when they started this whole woke cultural stuff, I stopped. I just stopped watching it all, uh, and I'm not going to consume it. But the reason why I know about your publication, and you can tell the folks that lead that publication this, is that as somebody that's in their, in their early 60s that really shouldn't have been paying attention to it is because it was telling the truth about what was going on in sports. Uh, and it's the only outlet, really, 
that tells the truth about what's happening uh, in sports these days. Uh, so they want a avid reader who is from a demographic that normally would not probably be looking at it. That's how I know about you. Uh, you know, and I think a lot of people are in that position that are my demographic. Yeah. So, I mean, the OutKick origin story was Clay Travis. Um, you know, he, he created this website. Um, originally, it was pretty sports heavy. Um, he ran it by himself for a long time. And uh, in 2020, he called me one day and said, hey, I want to grow this thing. I want you to be a part of it. So I came in 2020. He's like, hey, can you give me three years? We can build something really cool. And in three years, you know, you can go do your own thing. But he goes, I think we have a good chance of selling in three years. And uh, we sold in a one year. Fox News bought us a year later. Uh, I'm still here three years later. And the site's really grown exponentially. And, um, I mean, it's, it's far beyond just sports now. I mean, a lot of what yeah. I cover is not sports. But we do have a lot of people who focus just on sports. So, I mean, if you like my perspective on politics and culture and media, we, you know, we have you there and then we have a lot of people who are going to cover just the basic of sports. Um, it's so interesting though, like what you described is it, it wasn't even that outkick, I think took a contradictory approach. All we did is just, you know, cover sports yeah. the way it was always covered, but it was the rest mm-hmm. of the industry that shifted so far to the left that it made right. us seem like we were different where like, I don't know. I don't think we are anything different than what sports was 20 years ago. But what, what sports was 20 years ago doesn't exist anywhere else. I mean, yeah. frankly, they've made it so easy for our brand because all we have to do is be normal and we're the outliers. <laughs> and being outliers wins. I mean, in some ways, I've been very fortunate to be a part of something that really just resides in a place that's not like the others. And they've just made it so easy for us because they lie so often. They neglect common sense. They neglect middle America and the masses that we just have to do our thing and cater to the most people possible. And it's a winning strategy. And that's why OutKick is doing as well as it, as it is. And I mean, that's not just me um, tuning the horn. I mean, the numbers are public now. The site is one of the yep. fastest growing in the entire country. Yeah, it's uh, it's very impressive. And, and I think you nailed it right there is that, you know, uh, what I saw was facts, yeah. the truth about those facts uh, and and really respect for your audience, uh, because putting the truth and the facts together without uh, the narrative or propaganda or whatever you want to call it, or the government handcuffs on the information that they don't want people to hear uh, is obvious to your readers and your and your viewers uh, uh, and everything. And, and that shows a respect for us. Uh, so I'm really glad that you had the time to come on the show, Bobby. I appreciate it. Hopefully I'll get you back some more. Uh, I do. Re- I read your stuff. So uh, you never know. I'll, uh, I'll probably be asking much more uh, because uh, you do a very good job and, and I appreciate it. Uh, is there any other place I've had your Twitter and Getter handles up uh, in the outkick.com website up? Is there any other places that people can go to find you? Yeah, I mean, those are the main ones. I mean, I do several radio podcast TV hits throughout the week, so you never know where I'll pop up. But, uh, you know, if you're watching the right shows, I might pop up there. But really appreciate you having me on. It was a lot of fun. I'm glad you get to know your audience. And uh, congrats to you on what you're building and uh, hoping to stay in touch. Okay, thanks. And, uh, and Red Voice Media also thanks you. Uh, we'll see you later. And uh, tell Clay, uh, uh, congratulations. I think you guys are doing a great job. And he picked the right person. How you got to it. To come on board. Bobby Burak, folks, of OutKick.com, really solid author, brings the facts to bear, tells the hard truth, you know, and he respects his audience. That's all we ask. 
That, that's all I try to do with my little show here. That's all Red Voice Media tries to do uh, is those three things. That's what a free press and free uh, and free uh, th- freedom of thought mean in the United States of America or should mean. And hopefully we can keep enough pressure on those others that uh, Mr. Burak was talking about uh, that will eventually slowly result in the downfall in a very explosive way of this woke culture that is literally killing Christian children these days. God bless you. God bless America. And remember, pray for our enemies because God needs to work on their hearts. I'm Rob Manus. Until next week.